the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were written to give witness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They were written as a witness. And as the story of Jesus is told, the person that hears the story is confronted with the question, first, who is Jesus? And secondly, and it's actually implied that if Jesus really is, who he is recorded to be in the Gospels, what will I do with Jesus? In fact, what I believe as we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we understand what the eyewitnesses said, this is who Jesus is, and there is evidence for that from his words from his mouth and by the deeds that he did. In fact, ultimately, although it's a couple Sundays for now, it was the resurrection from the dead that was the final proof that Jesus really is who he said he was. But if that is true, then there are inescapable implications for us today. And what I mean is that takes us to the second question after who is Jesus to the question, what will I do with him? And all of us today in this room will answer those two questions in our hearts. Who do I believe Jesus is? And each of us will make a decision today, to some extent or another, what will I do with him? The fourth gospel is the Gospel of John. Uh, John was a fisherman on the uh, northern end of the Sea of Galilee at a city by the name of Capernaum. Although there is indication that he was actually, I think one of the Gospels says that he was from Bethsaida, which is only a few miles away, but was fishing in Capernaum. John is a brother to James. They are the sons of Zebedee, also nicknamed the sons of thunder. They are business partners with other fishermen, Peter and Andrew, and all of them are called to be followers of Jesus. And so John is one of the 12 disciples, or they became known as apostles. But not only that, he becomes one of the inner circle of Jesus, uh, of three, of Peter, James, and John. So he really... But the significance is, is in the midst of the three years, he is a witness to all that Jesus said and taught and all the things that Jesus did. Wow, I, you know, actually, he's, he's the guy, he's the only one of the 12 at the cross. Not that that's two weeks away. Uh, three weeks away, he and Peter the only ones recorded of the 12 that go to the empty tomb. John is an eyewitness at all that Jesus said and did, his works and his words. He's the only one of the 12 who lives to be an old man. All the others are martyred 
John was probably only a teenager when he was called, but lives to be a man surely into his 80s. The end of his life takes him to Ephesus. I'm going to spare you pictures this morning. There, there, no, there are no pictures. I know y'all are secretly making fun of me behind the scenes about my pictures to the Holy No, I refuse until next week to show more pictures. If you want to see pictures you can talk to, of Ephesus, just talk to Tommy, Jan, or the Monkeys. They, they have pictures. They would love to have you over at their house and show you their pictures of Ephesus. I haven't been there. It's on my list, though. I want to go. And actually, uh, John ends up in Ephesus and it, for a time is exiled to the isle, island of Patmos, which is just off the coast uh, from Ephesus. John's gospel is the last of the four. He tells us his, his intent at the end of his gospel in John chapter 20 verse 30 and look closely at his words it's very important when someone says now I've written all of this and here's why I wrote it I don't know of any other gospel where the writer says oh and this is the reason I wrote it John tells us John 20 verse 30 and 31 he says and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that believing you may have life in his name the implication of verse 30 in fact one of the very significant words throughout John is the word in verse 30 when it says sign in fact, the word signs uh, is used 24 times in the Gospel of John. It's a very significant word. The implication of that is my whole, the last 20 chapters have been for me to relate the signs to you. And we'll talk about signs here in just a minute. But it's one of the significant words. But then he says, so what he says, if I just condense it all down, I told you, I gave witness to all these signs with the intent that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, which is the word for Messiah, comma, the Son of God. In fact, the Son of God is the key phrase. Well, believe is too, <laughs> Son of God. John wrote his Gospels to give witness to the signs that point to Jesus being the Son of God. And so the, the definite article there denotes that he is the unique, the one and only Son of God. Understand, if we were to read all the Gospel and to know what was in the mind of John, that the Son of God is a title that speaks to the glory of or the deity of Jesus and this is very significant in Matthew's gospel he re he records the life of Jesus to show that Jesus is the king of the Jews Mark records his gospel to show that Jesus is the suffering servant 
Luke records his gospel to show that Jesus is the Savior of the world. John writes his gospel to show that Jesus is the Son of God. Very significant. It is foundational, fundamental to our faith to come to this point to understand when the gospel writers wrote, they were showing that Jesus was not just a human being, a great teacher, not just a miracle worker. He is God. It is fundamental to the Christian faith. It is at the very core of what we believe in the deity of Jesus. He is the Son of God. Ah, man, I've quoted this so many times. But John starts his gospel not so much with a, a birth narrative like Matthew and Luke, but uh, a theological statement. And so he says in John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. One of the other key words in John's gospel is the word glory because it speaks of the deity of Jesus. But that title, the Son of God, is the key phrase to understanding John's perspective as an old man. And John's gospel is more of a theological uh, book than the other gospels. And it's simply because decades have passed. But John gives witness to Jesus' words and his works. Hmm. Uh, there's 21 chapters. We're not going to read all of it this morning. Mm. But if you were just to read it and try to summarize it, one of the interesting things is there are seven I am statements in John's gospel. In fact, I don't know. I've already covered some of this. Here's your little cheat sheet. It's going to be on the test, people. You're going to want to take this. Put it in your Bible, okay? No, there's going to be a test called life but anyhow there's gonna be a test Jesus has seven I am statements and you can see those listed there I am the bread of life I am the light of the world I am the door actually I am the door to the sheep I am the good shepherd I am the resurrection and the wife I am the way the truth and the life I am the true vine the I am statements are statements of the uniqueness of Jesus. In fact, he claims through his words a uniqueness. He does not say, I am a bread of life, a light of the world, a door, a good shepherd, <laughs> so forth and so on. He says, no, I am the bread of life. I am the true vine and everything in between. There is a claim of uniqueness when Jesus makes these statements. That must, it raises that first question, if he is making that statement, then who is Jesus? But it is also a statement of deity. When Jesus says, I am, it is 
the Jewish name for God, Yahweh, I am. And it goes all the way back to Moses' encounter at the burning bush. And God appears to Moses. Moses has several questions, but one, is, one of the questions is, when the children of Israel ask me, what is your name? What do I say to them? And he said, I am that I am. My name is I am in the Hebrew, Yahweh. It was not quite honestly a name that the Jewish people used out of reverence for the name. Generally, they had a substitute for it in conversation. Even when they read the scriptures, they did not read the name Yahweh out of fear that they might mispronounce it and be struck dead. And so they replaced Elohim or one or the other. I think it's Elohim, I think is what they said. And they would read, even to this day, they would not pronounce the name out of fear of mispronouncing. It is the personal name for God. When Jesus, through the gospel, says, I am the bread of life, he is, yes, making a claim for his uniqueness, but he is also making a statement of his deity that he is God. <laughs> there is this strange detail to the Jesus arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, in John's Gospel that in John's Gospel he includes this detail when the soldiers came Jesus asked them this is maybe John 19 I don't know somewhere back in there who are you looking for Jesus of Nazareth was the answer in the dark. And Jesus responds, I am. And in John's gospel it says, and the soldiers fell back. Read it, it's in there. John's, that's, what John, that's a detail that John remembers the night that the other disciples didn't record in their gospel. He spoke the name of God. It was almost like this theophany of the glory of God. And they are rebuffed. He speaks the name of God, I am. And, and we don't even get it. We just think, well, that's a strange detail to the story. Jesus, I am statements are his words of his deity. If that is true, then Jesus is more than a teacher. He is God who came to show us the way to God. It changes everything about, he, about what he spoke and what he did. But quite honestly, anyone can say that. The question is, are there works that back it up? And that's where we find ourselves this morning. Because last Sunday we looked at the, the Gospel of Luke and we talked about Jesus being a teacher and that he, took, he was a Jewish rabbi and he, he took in disciples. But there's really two things about Jesus' ministry, his three years of what Jesus did. And so I've said that the Gospels record the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We're getting to the, the death and the resurrection in the next three Sundays. 
But the question is, what did he do in his life? And really, if we just had to summarize the four Gospels, there were things that he said or taught, spoke, and there were things that he did. There were his actions. And this is where we get into John's signs. John would say there were things that Jesus did that backed up his words. Anybody can say, I am God. I wouldn't suggest it, actually, but anyhow. But John says, are, were there actions that backed up his words? And John is a numbers guy. He's messing with our minds, quite honestly, when you begin to study. So there are seven I am statements. In John's Gospels, there are seven signs or miracles. And it makes a lot of sense. If Jesus really is who he said he was, and he is God, and God came in the flesh and dwelt among us, it would seem that there would be times that we would see supernatural things because he is God. And John records seven of the miracles of Jesus. They're on your sheet. Now, the Gospels record, if, if you talk about unique miracles that are recorded in the Gospels. There are 35 unique miracles recorded in the Gospels. I mean, if you take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you, there's parallels. Uh, I think all the Gospels have the feeding of the 5,000, for instance. You just count that once. But there's 35 different ones that are recorded. And then there are these statements in the Gospels that there were days that Jesus was healing many people and casting out many demons. And so it's, it's not that there weren't more than just 35, but in fact, John alludes to that in his purpose statement in, in 2030 when he says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his Gospels which are not written in this book. In fact, later he says that if we were to write them all down, the world, I, he just says, I, do not, I suppose that the world would not contain the books that would be written. There were many more signs the seven signs in John are the miracles of Jesus. And here's the statement. Jesus' miracles are signs of his deity. Jesus' miracles are signs of his deity. They are the proof that back up his words that he is God. A sign is something that is visible that shows his glory or his deity. Words are one thing. What were his actions? And do they give indication that Jesus was who he said he was? I want to read a couple of these. In fact, I'm going to read the first, second, and seventh. Of the signs. Let's start with the first. In John 2, uh, this is changing the water into wine. Uh, so think about it. We've had John 1. That's kind of just the start. We're only in, in John chapter 2, early in the story. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran, ran out of wine, 
the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were a set of six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was turned, had been, I'm sorry, that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to them, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have, have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. Notice John's statement at the end of the story, verse 11. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. In parentheses, understand his deity. Well, what else has glory other than God? You can't ever talk about something having glory unless, because all glory goes to God. And manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him he did a sign it spoke to who he was and at least the small group believed the second miracle is in chapter 4 it is the healing of the nobleman's son and it's only recorded in John's gospel John 4 verse 46 So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum, hmm. 20 miles away, I guess. When they heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. But remember, there's, there's 20 miles in between. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Now that's an interesting statement in context of what we've been talking about. I, Jesus said, Why do you always have to see signs so that you'll believe? But quite honestly, Jesus was willing to give signs <laughs> that they might believe. But Jesus would prefer <laughs> the highest level of belief would be to take Jesus at his word. If Jesus says, I'm God, I'm on the only way, then we are to believe his word. But some people need to see signs. And Jesus definitely gave signs. Verse 49, the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed. What did he believe? He believed the word of what Jesus had spoken. Well, that's what it says. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way, traveling the 20 miles to go home. 
And as he was now going down, his servant met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of him the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. Notice verse 54. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Now, if you look at your sheet uh, of the seven signs, three, four, five, and six would be uh, he heals the paralytic man at the pool of Bethesda. And I have a picture of that, but I didn't show it. I showed restraint today. Okay. It's on my phone if you want to talk to me after the service. He feeds the 5,000. He walks on the water. He heals the blind man in John 9. And then the seventh and final and clincher was the raising of Lazarus from the dead recorded in John chapter 11. Jesus is friends with a family made up of a brother, Lazarus, two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they live in Bethany, which is just on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, just a couple miles, maybe two miles out of Jerusalem towards the east. And Jesus would stay there, the Gospels tell us. He was friends of theirs. Lazarus is sick. The sisters send for Jesus to come and it says in John's gospel that Jesus waited two more days. And then he goes. He comes. When he comes, Lazarus has now died. He's been dead for four days. He has a discussion with the sisters. And then in verse 38 of John 11. Uh, this is the end of the story. Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. <laughs> That's kind of foreshadowing for the days to come. A grave and a tomb with a stone rolled across it. Jesus said, take away the stone." Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? You will see what only God can do in the midst of these circumstances. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I have said this, that they may believe that you sent me. I, I really want to scream. I want to yell when I come to verse 43, but I'm going to show restraint this morning. I'm going to use my inside voice, okay? It says, now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, 
Lazarus, come forth. I mean, John, John records this decades later, and it's like, no, I remember that day. We were standing there, and we're thinking, you, you finally gone off the deep end, Jesus. This dude's dead. And like I've said in years past when I preached about Lazarus, he was good and dead. He was getting ripe four days into this. And Jesus yells, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. Boom! I mean, you, you want to know, is Jesus really deity? He just came to a grave and spoke the word and brought the dead back to life. What else do you need to know? Well, you actually need to know one other thing, and it comes in three Sundays, that Jesus did the same thing to himself. That's going to be the clincher, the resurrection of Jesus. Notice the response. In verse 45. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. He just raised the dead. What else? But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Hmm. Then the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? Notice this next statement. For this man works many signs. They couldn't dispute the signs. Because they were done before eyewitnesses. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people. And not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. And notice the final verse in verse 53. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. No, that was it. The signs were so clear. We've got to eliminate this guy. Even though the, all the indications was he was really who he said he was. I'm struck by that response. Because I believe from Jesus' words 
and his works, it demands a response. When the Gospels are read, when the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are presented to us and we are confronted with the truth of who Jesus was, we are then confronted with the question, what will I do with him? John's answer to the question from his words and from his works, who is Jesus? He is the unique son of God. He is God himself who came in the flesh to make a way for us to spend eternity with God. He is the only way to get to God. What will I do with him? All of us today must answer that question. If Jesus really is who he said he was, then there are inescapable implications. We must, as the people of his day, make a response with our life. If Jesus' signs prove that he was who he said he was, then the I am statements are verified and we are confronted with the truth of the I am statements. If you look at that sheet, then we would have to believe that Jesus' words are true and that he is the bread of life, he is the light of the world, he is the door, he is the good shepherd, he is the resurrection and the life, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the true vine. The implication is if you are looking for the substance of life on the daily basis of how you are going to make it, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, if you don't understand and you don't have knowledge and you don't understand what all this world is about and it seems that you're walking around groping in darkness, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you're looking for a way to get in to the family of God so that you're in the in group, not on the out group because of your sin, Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. If you're looking for someone on a daily basis to lead your life so that you rest in green pastures and you, you sit beside the still waters and you have someone who protects you with their rod and their staff, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. If like Lazarus, you are faced with death and what is beyond the grave, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Man, and this next one just really summarizes it all. If you're looking for the path in life, what life is really about, and what even leads to life, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In the second half of John 14, 6, he said, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That is a bold 
audacious statement from a man. If you're looking for strength to make an impact, to bear fruit in our world, Jesus said, I am the true vine. And he who abides in me as a branch will produce fruit. We are confronted with the truth that Jesus truly is the unique Son of God. And we're confronted within the question, what will I do with him? And John's gospel would teach us that we are to believe and that by believing in his name, we will find life because there is no one else like Jesus. If these words of Jesus are not true, and what John saw with his eyes are not true, then we have no basis for our faith. But if they are true, there are inescapable implications. What will I do with Jesus? This morning, I'm going to ask you to stand. Uh, Brother Shane's going to come and lead us in worship uh, as we sing this hymn of commitment. Byron and I are going to be at the front.